invite you to turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Uh, We are looking at the real Lord's Prayer. The prayer recorded here at John 17, which is the longest prayer of Jesus recorded in the whole Bible. Uh, we, we often think of the Lord's Prayer as that um, example that Jesus gave to his people, to his disciples of, of praying in this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, and it goes on from there. We think of that as the Lord's Prayer, and, and it is a significant prayer. Absolutely. But I, uh, I want us to look at this prayer. We, we began looking at it last week. John 17, we looked at verses 1 through 5 when Jesus prayed for himself. And do you recall what Jesus was praying for himself about? He was praying that God would glorify him as the Son, as the, the Messiah, the Christ. God, he said, or Father, he said, glorify your Son. And the reason he asked for the, God to glorify him was so that he could glorify the Father. That was his motivation, that was his purpose, that was his reason for, for get, receiving glory in himself. And now, we're going to look at this next section of the prayer in which Jesus turns his attention not uh, or turns turns from uh, his attention on himself and on his his purpose and on his mission and what he was about and he turns his attention towards his own disciples what does he pray for his disciples what is significant what can we learn from this passage about what our lives are, should be about. If, if Jesus prayed this for His disciples then, and we are His disciples now, does this give us a clue as to what we're supposed to be about? What Jesus wants from us? I think it does. And so we're going to look at that. So if you have your Bibles out, Again, at John 17, we're going to begin reading at verse 6. So follow in your Bibles or your devices, or follow along on the screen as I read aloud. John 17, verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you have gave, or whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine." And I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, 
that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Let's pray once more. Father, now I ask that you will teach us from this word. May your Holy Spirit go before me, go before my words, and go with my words. And Lord... Um, that what we hear this morning will be the message you have specifically for our hearts. God, do something amazing in our presence this morning through your word. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to show you first of all that um, Jesus begins this uh, he begins his prayer for his disciples by talking about who they actually are. And, and their identity as his disciples. Uh, this this uh, Wednesday night, when our youth group gathered together, um, I got the privilege of sharing with them. And we began the first of a 10-week series that we're going to do with the youth called The Story of God. Or we, it's the form that we're using is The Story Formed Way. Meaning... The way that God has called us to live um, and that forms us, the story that forms us and forms how we live and how we think and how we move. And uh, we began that story talking about creation. And do you, do you recall, thinking back to the beginnings of the Bible, if you've heard those stories before, what did God say about humanity when he said let us create man how did he create him in what way did he want them to be formed do you recall in his image he he said let us let us create man in our image in the image of god it says the, the bible says in the image of god he created them male and female he created them he created us in His image, giving us an identity, who we are. And what Jesus points out here over and over at the beginning of this prayer, He says this in verse 6, He talks about the people whom you gave me out of the world. He says, yours they were, and you gave them to me. He says later in uh, verse 8, uh, I've given them the words that you gave me. They have received them and have come to know the truth that I am, that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. The first part of these this prayer that Jesus prays for his disciples was to remind not only himself and not God 
per se. He's not reminding the Father. He's like, hey, God, I just want to remind you of all of these things that you already know. Uh, he was saying those things and praying those things. He was almost, it, it was almost as if, and when we do that, when we remind God in prayer, we say, God, you are great. God, you are glorious. Um, uh, God, you've done this. God, you've done that. God doesn't need us to remind him of what he's done, but we are actually worshiping him and exalting him and glorifying him and declaring those things. In one sense, that's what Jesus is doing here, but he's also got an audience. He's praying with his disciples. His disciples are listening to him. And so as he's praying to God and he's recounting the fact that the disciples' identity is in God himself, that they carry his image, that they are his image bearers that have been brought out of the world, out of rebellion against God and his ways, and brought into the light of the gospel of Jesus. As he's telling them, as he's speaking those words to God, his disciples are hearing those things and reminding, are being reminded of their true identity, where their true identity lies. The things that, the things that Jesus says later in this, in this prayer, the, the specific request that Jesus makes of God are grounded in the disciples' identity as God's children, belonging to God, bearing His image. And here's how they became, or here's how they came to belong to God. Verse 6, Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. There's a lot of, there are a lot of, um, words for word in the New Testament. Does that make sense? There are so, several different words in the original language of the Bible that are translated into our English word. And so they have a lot of different kinds of meanings. Some, some of these, when we, you hear the word word, it literally means a spoken word. <laughs> right? Something that was spoken out of our mouth that people heard. Sometimes when you hear the word, see the word word, uh, it means the all-encompassing message or overall message that, say, Jesus or the disciples or the apostles spoke. Um, sometimes it's, he uses the word words, and that can, that can usually mean like all of the teachings of Jesus. But in this particular instant here, in verse 6, when it says, they have kept your word, I think of what Jesus is trying to, trying to make clear to his disciples, and I hope, I hope it will be clear to us as we move through this, is that Jesus is talking about the total revelation of himself to his disciples. What would that be? When I, mean, when I say total revelation of himself, I mean not just the things that he said, not just his teachings, not just the, the behavior. He said, believe these things about me. These things are true. And, he didn't, he, and it's not just, uh, this is how you need to act. This is what you need to do. He was saying, this is who I am in relation to God. I am the Son of God. I am here. I came to this earth. I was born. I grew up. 
I obeyed Jesus. I have revealed all of this to you. I am... We, well, I am. <laughs> Basically. When he says uh, in these previous chapters that we looked at, when he says... When he says to them, I'm speaking, uh, I'm telling you these things now before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe that I am. I am God. I am the name that you have, that you have learned from childhood. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, here in the flesh. And the, and the disciples believed that. So, when they says they have kept your word, they have lived by it. They have lived by the message that God sent to earth, Jesus Himself. They have kept the word. They haven't done it perfectly. How many of you have kept any command or any rule that you've ever been given perfectly? There are times we, we stray from it, and the disciples did as well. They didn't keep the word perfectly, but they understood who Jesus was. Can I show you, uh, can I show you where this is evidenced most clearly? In the Gospel of John. You don't have to turn here, but if you want to make a note of this, John chapter 6, uh, verses 66 and following, um, John 6, verses 66 and following, uh, Jesus had been teaching the crowds and the disciples that had followed Him, not just the twelve disciples, but other disciples who claimed to be disciples at least, and those who had been following after Jesus, listening to Him teach. And He, he said some hard things, some difficult things, some things that people didn't quite understand. And after this after this thi uh, these things happened, it says in verse 66, after this, many of His disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered Him, listen to what Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's a pretty strong statement. Where sh shall we go? Or to whom shall we go? Who else are we going to believe in? What else are we going to put our faith in? We, you have the words of eternal life. You have the way to the Father, as Jesus told Thomas in in John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And, and even at this time, Peter understood something of that. Maybe not fully, not, maybe not completely, but he understood that Jesus had the words of eternal life. Jesus, there was something about this man. He had the way of eternal life. He didn't understand everything. He didn't have all of his answers or questions answered. He didn't know it all, but he believed that Jesus was the way. That Jesus was the Holy One of God. And that's what, that's what is going on here in this, in this prayer. As Jesus says, they have kept your word. And, and in, even in verse 7 when He says, Now they know that everything that you have given Me is from you. Did they really know that? 
I mean, did they have that kind of cognitive awareness of what was going on with Jesus and with the Father and, and what Jesus had said? and what Did they know all of these things really that well? There was so much that they didn't know. There was so much that needed to be um, expounded on in their, in their hearts and in their minds through the Holy Spirit later. But they had that root of faith. They knew at that point in their life that if they didn't have Jesus, they had nothing. How about you and me? Do we have that much faith to say, I don't have all of the right answers. I don't know everything. But I know Jesus is worth knowing. And I'm going to pursue Him for the rest of my life. I'm going to put my faith in Him and I'm going, to, I'm going to do what He tells me to do today. I'm going to be obedient to the things I know even though there is a lot I don't know. That's kind of where the disciples were at. So that's what Jesus was praying for them. They believed and that's how they became children of God through, G, through God's uh, working in their life and revealing the Word to them. What does he say in verse 10? All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. And he's talking about his disciples once again, talking about glory. And then he comes up to the first actual request of the Father for the disciples. Verse 11, he says, again, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. That's significant because what he asks next is all important. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me. So we sang about the name this morning quite a bit. There is power in the name of Jesus. And then the, we, we sang about the same power that rose. Jesus from the grave lives in us. The power of His name. And Jesus prays specifically for His disciples that the Father, the Holy Father, it's very interesting that He uses that term, Holy Father, or uh, that word holy means set apart, or we have these really nice, these lovely churchy words that we like to call, or to use like sanctified. Um, it comes from the Latin for the word holy, sanctus. Sanctified, we like these words holy, or set apart, or sanctified, or consecrated. Those are all basically meaning the same things. And he says that about the Holy Father who will keep them in His own name. To keep them is to guard them. Uh, we, could, we could add an extra word there to help out the meaning keep them safe or keep them secure in God's name. And that was Jesus' prayer for His disciples. Why would He pray that prayer? Have you uh, ever gone on a uh, difficult or dangerous journey? Some of us recently, <laughs> Maddie has, yes, she's gone on a difficult journey. Some of us have gone on difficult journeys recently. Just driving over the mountains to get to the other side, right? 
driving a truck over there or driving back and forth during the holidays or whatever it was. We've gone on those difficult, dangerous journeys. Jesus knew that, that His disciples were going to remain in the world. He said, I am no longer in the world. Already Jesus was anticipating the fact that He's going to be out of the world because what is He says? I am coming to you. He's leaving. He's not going to be physically present in the world anymore. His presence in the world will be through His body, the, the, the believers, His disciples, through the Holy Spirit. But He's leaving the world, but what does He say? But they are in the world, as we are. We are in the world. We live in a dark place. We live in a world of unbelief. We live in a world that is not safe for people who want to put their faith in, securely in Christ. When um, a few summers ago, when we were still living in Alabama, we, um, as a family, took a trip uh, to, uh, oh gosh, North Carolina to visit some uh, some friends there who were starting a church and we're in the, in the first year or two of their church plant. And so our church in Alabama sent a, a large crew up there to do VBS type things and to, to, to minister to them and help them on a building project and do this and that and the other. And at the end of the week, we said, well, we're going to take a day to just kind of relax and have some fun. So we're going we're gonna to go up into the mountains and we're going to this river where we can, you know, the kids can float the river and there's kind of a swimming area there and it's a really nice place. We'll go up there, we'll have some fun. And so we decided to go up and do that too and the kids were coming down in, remember this? Coming down in, in inner tubes. They're coming down in inner tubes, um, floating down the river. They'd, they'd walk up a trail and then they'd hop in the river and float down. It was a slow going river. It was relatively safe. Um, and so some of our kids were doing that and, uh, and Maddie's like, I want to do that too. I want to do that too. And now she's almost nine years old. She was six at the time. And so we took her up there and two of us got in an inner tube and we floated our way down and had a great time. It was, and we got out and, let's do that again. Let's do that again. Oh, yeah, let's do that. Let's go. Let's walk up that trail again. So we walked up. Let's go up a little bit farther and then we'll come down. Okay, sounds good. So we got up a little bit farther and we got into the water and we floated along and we got to this one point where we're going to have to just kind of go down a little, just a little, you know, little thing. And all of a sudden, as we were floating along, Right before he got there, the tube spun around and I'm sitting there and she's sitting right on my lap. And as the tube spun around and we went backwards down this short little breaker and boom, out of the tube. Both of us into the drink. I was frightened because I was not expecting to hit my head on the bottom of the river and I was not expecting my daughter to go flying as well. Um, Managed to grab her up, bring her out of the water. Um, the tube floated off into a nice little quiet eddy. And, um, and I got her standing on a giant rock while I'm in the water going, this is really cold and it's okay. And she's crying. We got to get back in. There's no way we can do it. We, there is no way to get out of the river from here except for to get 
back in the tube and float our way back down to safety. That was it. So we did it again. Finally convinced her to get in there. And we floated down. And the next little breaker that we got to, which we had gone over before, no problem at all, guess what? The same thing happened. And then I grabbed her up out of the drink. The tube went kept on going. Somebody else jumped in the water and got it about a quarter mile down the river. And then I floated with her to safety and got her out and got myself out. And I had a broken foot and the whole works by the end of it. Well, why am I telling you this story? Not because it's, it was kind of fun. It was scary, wasn't it? It was frightening. Yeah, twice. And it was scary for daddy too because I thought, oh no, I'm going to what's going to happen to my little girl. But it's kind of like that in the world. It's kind of like that for the disciples. The disciples in the world, not of it. I mean, they, they, ha they, were, they were going to have to go down that river. There was only one way to safety. And that was to travel those rapids to get to where it would be safe. But Jesus is saying, Father, keep them. Keep them safe. And like a father should, I, I hope like a good father, like I, I was able to save my little girl from getting dashed to the, in the rocks or drowning in that river. But the Heavenly Father, the Holy Father who loves us, keeps His disciples safe. And I told Maddie as we were floating along, I have you. Nothing's bad. Nothing bad is going to happen to you. I've got you. Okay? Calm down. It's going to be okay. And that's what the Father does. The Father keeps them in His name. He's, Jesus said, while I was with them, <laughs> while I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me. In verse 12. I have guarded them. So and he uses that synonym. I have guarded them. I, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. So what does he point out? Who is he referring to there? The one. Not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. And he's referring to Judas there. The betrayer. Is it that the scripture might be fulfilled? Do you remember the scripture? Um that Jesus referred to in John 13 when He said, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the Scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And that's an Old Testament idiom for this one who sat at my table, fellowshiped with me, was one of my closest companions, has betrayed me has come against me, has become my enemy, which was what Judas had done. And Jesus points out in His prayer here that, that I've kept Him, I've guarded them. There's only one who You gave me to be, to be with me in my ministry who went to His own destruction, as was Your plan from the very beginning, God. But he says in verse 13, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I want to point, um, I want to make this point to you all. 
Jesus is praying. Yes, He's praying that the Father will keep them. He will guard them. He will protect them, in other words, while they are in the world. And He wants that same thing for us as well. But the reason why He said all of these things, the reason why He prayed these prayers, is so that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. In other words, not joy in themselves, not, not, not joy taking joy in, in their own lives or their own thoughts or their own minds or their own successes. Like uh, He's not saying, hey, just have joy in your life. What are you doing? What do you have? You, you have this, you have that car, t take joy in it. You have that career, ha take joy in that. Um, have joy in your family, have joy in that. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, he wants my joy to be fulfilled in them. Is that right? Jesus said, my joy fulfilled in them. He wants us, in other words, to have joy in Him. And that's why He's asking for these things from the Father. That's why He wants us to be kept. Not only so that we can keep ourselves in His name, in the name of Jesus, uh, focused on His name, the, right in that, in that verse, if I can back up just a little bit to verse 11, He says, that they may be one even as we are one. Uh, the, the, the emphasis there is on unity. And I'm just going to touch on it very briefly here because I want to speak a lot more about unity next week. But the unity He's talking about there is unity in the name of Jesus. The person of Jesus. The work of Jesus. The, the revelation of God. We talk about uh, being united as a church often. Maybe, I, maybe we ought to talk about it more than we do. But the unity we're talking about in the church that we need to have is not that the unity of that we're all wearing Seahawks jerseys, which is fine to do. But say there was somebody who came in here and sat in our midst who was wearing a 49ers jersey. Would we say, oh, we... You don't belong with us. You're not one of us. No, we wouldn't say that. Some of you are just plain awful. We would, we would be inclined to say that, but in reality we would say, okay, are you in Christ? Yes. What, what is our unity in? It's not in those external things. It's in Christ. Our unity is in the name of Jesus. And that's the kind of unity, that uh, the oneness that Jesus is praying uh, from the Father. That they be kept in your name means that they'll be united in, per, in their purpose for, of glorifying Jesus in the world. Of, of ultimately glorifying the Heavenly Father in His name. And that in doing that, that as God keeps them safe, protects them in the world, that they may have joy. When, when, uh, when Maddie and I came out of the river, and I propped her up there, and she got to safety, what was the point of all of that? It wasn't, I wasn't just keeping her safe from the, from the evil river that, you know, just for its own sake. Uh, I kept her safe and protected her so that her joy would be full. That she could go on living and be happy and, 
and, and fulfilled in the rest of her life. And that's what God is doing with us as well. God protects us in the world so that our joy may be filled in Him. Right? That's what He wants from us. And so He goes on, and the last few verses here are, are quite thick. But he, he says this in verse 14. If I can just keep on reading. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. So if we were wondering why Jesus is asking God to protect them or keep them um, while they are in the world, He gives a reason why. The world hates Disciples, the world in its rebellion against God hates anyone who says, no, that's not right, this is right. Jesus explained that in great detail uh, with his disciples earlier in chapter 15 when he said this in verse 19, so chapter 15, verse 19, if you want to jot this reference down, if you were of the world, the world would have loved you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And that's what he's referring to right here in his prayer. I have given them your word. The message, the revelation of himself to his disciples, and his disciples have accepted it. They've received it with joy. And they know that only in that message will they have eternal life. Will they have their joy fulfilled? And the world hates them for it. How dare you tell me, how dare you live a way in your life that makes it as if the, the joy I'm pursuing in other things is not, is not right, is not, it's not healthy, it's, it's going to be unsatisfying in somehow. And in a sense, that's what we do when we, when we receive Jesus' word and we believe it and we trust in Him. We become at odds with the world because we have a message that says our joy is complete in Jesus and nothing else will compare with that. Well, that's a message that the world doesn't like to hear because they don't want to be told that what they have is less than anything. Well, he says in verse 15, he clarifies because at this point we might be tempted to say, well, Maybe what we ought to do is live by ourselves as much as possible. Maybe the, the monasteries of the past, maybe they had the right idea. Build up their walls, build their little fortresses, uh, live in those places away from the world, not, in, not to be in the world at all, uh, so we can, we can be truly holy and right and, and protected. But... Jesus clarifies in verse 15, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. They're in the world. <laughs> but protect them while they're in the world. Protect them from the evil one. 
The ruler of this world that he referred to earlier in his message to his disciples when he said in verse, or in chapter 14, when he said, the ruler of this world is coming, he's going to have his day, evil is going to have its day when it, when it comes and, and crucifies the Son on the cross. But guess what? That cross has no claim on me, Jesus said. The ruler doesn't have a claim on me. The evil one has no claim on my life. I lay it down freely. But it, there, there's this appearance that evil is, is having victories. There's an appearance of evil that ha, has victories when we see mass shootings. When we see terrorist attacks. When we see ISIS uh, when we see uh, governments making rules or laws um, that distort God's design for our lives, it appears that the evil one, when more than a million unborn babies are aborted every year, and we think, what evil? How could a, how could a people, how could a nation allow that to happen? We live in a world where the evil one has all kinds of authority. But ultimately, his rule will end. We were... I was at, at my nephew's house yesterday and we were watching a movie. And in that movie, it just seemed like, man, so much, so much evil, Right? All the bad guys. And just when you think everything was turning out well, it, it's, it seems like all the people you thought you could trust turned out to be the bad guys too. And there's even more evil than you imagined. And, and, uh, and my nephew Christopher said, well, the, you know, wouldn't it be good if all that evil was gone? Right? If all that evil was taken away. One day... There will be, not just in the movies, not just in the movies, but one day all that evil will be removed in our world when Jesus 2.0 takes place, when Jesus comes again, when Jesus returns, and he puts an end to evil once and for all, for all time. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more sin and darkness, and death. That's a day to look forward to. Jesus said, again, they are not of the world. They're in the world. They're not of the world. They're made of different stuff. And he says, just as I am not of the world. And then he gives, he, he, he makes the final request of the Father for his disciples. When he says this in verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Okay, that's that word. Sanctify. Sanctify. Consecrate. Set apart. Make holy. He talks to his Holy Father in verse 11. And then he comes around and he says, Sanctify them. You are Holy Father. Make my disciples holy by the truth. 
Your word is truth. The word that I have spoken to him. What does that mean for us? The word that Jesus has spoken to us, the word that has been revealed to us in God's word, sanctifies us, makes us holy. Why do we, why do we read the Bible together as a church why do we study it? Why, why when we gather in this place do we spend this much time looking at God's Word, talking about it, sharing in it? Because it is the thing that sanctifies us. It's the thing that makes us holy. God's Word makes us holy. God's Word transforms us. It changes us. It takes us out of the world in the sense that we were part of the world. We were in rebellion once against God. But now we're just in the world, not of the world. By God's word, by his truth. Jesus says, uh, went on verse 18, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. I have sent you out, you people to gathered here today. Jesus says, I've sent you out into the world, sanctified, made holy by my word. Verse 19, And for their sake, I consecrate myself. Jesus says, I make myself holy. I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified in truth, made holy, consecrated, set apart. This idea of holiness is we were once dark, we were once sinful, we were once uh, agents of, of evil purposes. You may think, well, well, I've never really been all that evil. Well, okay, I've made some mistakes in my life. Okay, I've done some bad things. I know I've lied. I've, I took something I shouldn't have taken. Um, I had a bad attitude against somebody once. We were once part of the world in rebellion against God and His ways. But Jesus take us, took us out of the world by His Word and sanctified us, made us holy, that we would live that way that we would live according to His ways, His plans for our lives. How should we respond to that? Number one, number one, just simply recognize that God has made us holy. The sins of our past, the mistakes that we've made, do not define who we are if we are in Christ. If we are in Christ, what defines our identity is Jesus Himself. And that way we can be an image bearer, imaging God, reflecting Him in the world. In a sense, we have already been made holy if we are in Christ. That we've already been sanctified in this way. But there's an aspect of it too that that even after we're in Christ, we continue to sin, we continue to make mistakes, and we need to go back to His Word and have His Word cleanse us over and over again. When you talk about a daily Bible reading challenge, a 2016 Bible reading challenge, uh, we're talking about a, 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 a means of receiving the grace of God in our lives. A means by which we can be sanctified day after day as we come back to Him and His Word, as we gather together in our worship time together to be sanctified, as we gather in missional community and encourage one another and break bread together in our homes and share a meal together and speak of the things that God has done. 
It's a means by which we can be sanctified when we gather in our small groups. Many of you are connected. You either get together one-on-one or in groups of two or three or four in a discipleship group of some kind. I know ladies meet on Monday or Wednesday and the men meet on Thursday or Thursday afternoon or Wednesday morning or whenever. And, and we, we meet like that in order to, to be sanctified, to be made more holy, to, to experience the joy of of, of Christ's salvation in our lives. Amen? How should we respond to this today? How will you respond to this today? I, I would like to encourage you um, to do this. Number one, make your, make your salvation sure. I want you to know that you know God the Father. I want you to know that you know Jesus, His Son. If there's any doubt in your, in your mind, I want you to know that. And I want you to know it today. So that you can be kept in the name of Jesus as Jesus prayed for His disciples. Confess some sin. Maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe we have lived in the world so long that the world defines who we are at this point in our lives. That that is the, that is the identity that we have. That our, that our identity is so wrapped up in anything, anything besides our relationship with Christ that we just need to confess that and release that and ask God to do a cleansing work in our lives. Maybe we need to um, make a commitment specifically to, to, to prayer or, or to a discipleship group or a missional community or something like that. Um, maybe make a commitment to be in God's Word on a daily or, uh, basis. And we all, we all fail in, in that. I mean, we, there's not very many of us who, who can keep that habit going for years and years over a lifetime. But, but maybe we need to just fall on our face and, and fail, at least stumble in the right direction and make that commitment that that's the path I'm going on. And if I stumble and fall, I will stumble and fall with my face planted in the ground pointing that direction. How does God want to move in your life today? What is He specifically calling you to do? Make that commitment. Make that, make that decision today, if you will. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word to us. Thank You for revealing Your, your goodness and Your glory to us. God, thank You for um, speaking to us very specifically. I know that You have to my heart and to the rest of us who are here today. Father, I just pray that um, as we close our time of worship this morning, that you will do a work in our hearts. I pray that you will give us the courage to make whatever decision we need to make today. And to um, make our election and our uh, salvation sure to walk according to your ways for us, to seek your um, guidance, to seek your um, wisdom, to, um, to
to continue to grow in our faith and grow in our salvation. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.